Wow, fantastic. Thank you, John, for that introduction. It's great to be with you guys. Eltham Green Community Church. My name is Melvin, as so did it been said. Uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman. Her name is Rebecca. We have two boys, Malachi and Judah. Malachi's 15, Judah's nine. We all live in that lockdown life like most of us. I love my kids, but really they need to go back to school, if I'm completely honest with you. But, uh, but anyway, let's not, let's not bring our kids into it. Eh? This is church, and let's keep it civil. Uh, I work for a charity called Spark to Life, and um, at this charity, we actually uh, work with people, particularly young people who are caught up in the criminal justice system, um, and we advocate for them. We do mentoring, and we do all kinds of stuff with local authorities, but also I'm a pastor, and so we're in the middle of uh, planning to plant a church in London, uh, and we want to see God just do some incredible things in this great city. Over the last few months, we've gotten to know John and Jenna, and it's been phenomenal. It's been like uh, when you meet someone, you never f- thought you, you never had them in your life. Um, that's how it's been. We've connected so much and so well. We have a lot of fun. We also share a love of coffee. That's me and John. Jenna's not with us on that one, unfortunately. But, uh, but you know, some people just need prayer. So, um, but we hit it off, and we've had a lot of time just, just kind of talking, spending time together, and, uh, and I was invited to, to speak to you guys, and I'm really excited about what God wants to share with us today. So I'm going to get straight into it, because I really feel like God's got a word that he wants to share with you. So I want to encourage you to get your notebooks ready, your pens ready, be re- receptive for what God wants to say. Now, at heart, I'm a Pentecostal. I might scream, I might shout, I might get a bit animated, don't worry, it's all good. I'm, I'm fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just, I'm just excited about Jesus. The truth is, guys, let me, let me say this. Whenever I talk about Jesus, I can't help but get excited. I can't help but be expressive because of what he has done for me and what I've seen him do in so many people's lives. And as we go through today's message, here's what's going to happen. We're going to look at the prodigal son today. <clears throat> I know you probably, if you've been in church long enough, you'd know the prodigal son's been preached a lot. But I hope today God's going to do something different as we look at this parable. Because here's what it is. It's a parable of a father who cares so much about his son that he actually doesn't care about anything else around him. And that's what we're going to look at today, that he cared so much about his son that he didn't care about the culture. He didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care about what was going on around him. All he focused on was his son. And here's what I believe as we go through today. Some of us in here, God's going to give you an absolute first-time revelation of the love that Jesus has for you. You're going to see him as as your savior, the one that loves you regardless of what's happening in your world. And then for others of us who've had that experience already, I believe this, that he's going to give you a greater revelation of his fatherhood over your life. He's going to give you a greater revelation of what that looks like. Listen, we are not about behavior modification. As church, we're not about that. We're about heart transformation. And that's what the Father's all about. He's not about your behavior. He's about your heart. And he loves us so much. We, the Bible says in Psalm 17 verse 8, are the apple of his eye. Imagine that. I want you to think about that. You are the apple of God's eye. Psalm 17 8 says, keep me as the apple of your eye. For most of us, we would have had dads that would have done anything for us. 
absolutely anything. I remember a day, Malachi must have been about five or, or six, it was primary school, and uh, Malachi was, was going into school. He got there before everybody else. I don't know, for some reason, children love to get there before everybody else, which is not great for us because it means we've got to leave the house earlier. But he got there before everybody else. He was standing at the front, really excited, and he was like, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to keep the door open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teacher's going to be really uh, happy that I'm here, and I'm holding the door. And then another child who was a little bit bigger than him came in front of him, and just stared at him and looked at him and then stood there. Now, I was, I'm the dad, and I'm, I'm like, okay, this is a five-year-old, but, you know, I just got a little bit angry. So, you know, I did what any good dad would do. I stood right in front of this small child. <laughs> I stared at him. And then he looked at me. And I stared back at him. And then he walked back. I went behind Malachi. You know, listen, me, at that time, 35, taking on a five-year-old, I would have definitely won. But the thing is this, what he'd done was he messed with my son. Obviously, I wasn't going to do anything to him. But as a dad, you just can't help but actually respond to when your child is being hurt. That's how God feels about you. That's how God feels about me. That actually, we are those people that he would do anything for And he will break any boundary. He will break every barrier. He will change things just so that he can have a moment with you. And maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, that's not me. You don't know what my week's been like. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know the mess that I'm in. I think that God will look at you and he will say this, that regardless of all of that, I love you you. That's why the father sent his son Jesus, so that he could come right there in the middle of our mess, and he can bring us out of it, and in that mess lies the very message that he wants to bring out through us. And that's the message that the prodigal son brings out. A a, a message where, where, where we see the love of a father saying, I will embrace you regardless of what's going on. So let's dive straight into the passage. I'm going to read it, so follow with me if you can, um, and, and stay with me. I know even if you've had read this many times, just stick with it, because I'm going to bring out a lot of stuff from the passage. So I'm going to read it. I'm also reading from the NIV version, um, just so if you want to follow through with that. I know we've all got phones that we can change uh, versions on there. It's not like the old days where you had to flip through scriptures and that kind of stuff. If you do have a scripture Bible, the page Bible, though, great. I love them. They are phenomenal and it's definitely worth using them. Right, I'm getting distracted. Let me start. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 is where we're going to go from. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off on a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to Celebrate. I'm going to leave it there. I love this parable. It is one of three parables that Jesus tells. And this is the one I love the most because I love it because he is giving us a perspective of what the Father, what Father God thinks of you and I. He is talking to us and giving us a clear uh, message, a clear understanding of what the Father thinks of us in this passage. And as we go through it, you'll see what I mean by it because it is a phenomenal passage. Number one, a younger son demanding his inheritance is just wrong. It's like my age, nine-year-old Judah coming up to me and saying, Dad, you need to pretend like you're dead. And so now sell the house, the car, and whatever money we get, give it to me. He's basically saying to me, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's what Jesus comes and tries to give us the most extreme of circumstances. The son is basically saying, Dad, you being alive is not convenient for me. I wish you were dead. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18, it actually says that if a child is super rebellious, that child should be taken to the elders of the city and that child could potentially be stoned to death. I think that this fits into the context of rebelliousness. And also, the dad would be within all his rights to actually take the son into the the community center and in front of everybody, give the son a backhanded slap which should be a sign that this son has, has basically disrespected the father and will also be a sign that the father is saying, away with you, I want to have nothing to do with you. Instead, the father splits his money or, his, or, the, or the, the wealth, gives it to them. Interesting point, another message for another day. The older son got some money too. And uh, that's another preach, but let's focus on the younger son. Um, and so... He takes the money and he goes, and, and you know, he goes and, and, he, and he, he leaves. Now, the dad weakens his position within the community. The dad, if he's a businessman, weakens his, his position as a businessman. If he's the head of any organization, weakens his position in that one moment by giving in to his son. All the opinion around the father now becomes one that he just give in to his son. That's a crazy thought to have. And also for his, the dad's own future is not great. Puts him in quite a, quite a weakened position as a negotiator, quite a, quite a weakened position as a businessman. But the father's like, that's not my, 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 my focus. My focus is my son. Bible says, then the son goes, and then there's a severe famine that, that hits, which 
is not just like, you know, a, a random famine. This was severe famine. When you look into the language that Jesus is using, it is on the level of almost cannibalism kind of famine. People were struggling. So Jesus, again, gives an example that is so extreme because he's trying to get us to see what the prodigal son is all about. As I stand here and preach and I look to the right, you've actually got a picture of a prodigal son depicted there, which is amazing. I love the fact that that is there. Um, and yeah, amazing. Bible then says famine hits, he loses everything, wastes everything, loses his money, ends up going to a citizen of the country. The citizen were, citizens were wealthy foreigners and the son joins them. He goes cross-culture. Again, something he's not supposed to do. He goes cross-culture and he joins them. Now, interestingly enough, it says, it says that they leave him right where the pigs are, put him in the pig farm or pig, pig area. I don't know what it's called now. God, it slipped my mind. Um, but where the pigs are kept. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a pig farm. I remember at stage stage where the kids were like, always wanting to go to farms and stuff like that. And the thing is, you know, you love seeing the tigers because they're really scary. You're like, whoa, that's amazing. You see the lion, you're like, wow, that is the king of the jungle. Fantastic. You see the elephant, huge. You know, you see the hyena. What is that? That was, wow. Don't know what that is. They look terrible. And then, you know, you see some reptiles and you're thinking, whoa, that is mad that lizard mm, scary those kind of things but the thing about the pig is you can smell him from far away as you walk in you're thinking whoa that stink means pig um you know depending on whether you're a meat eater depending whether you're a pork eater some senses it's great some other senses not so much in a farm not so great and so you know it smells so the way i would see it and when you research into it actually the pig's pens were kept quite far away from the family home. So there's a strategic position from where the family are to where the pig pen is. Bible says that Jesus tells a story and says that the boy, the son, was kept in the pig pen. Stay there. The son wasn't being done a favor. The son actually here, in my opinion, is portrayed as a bit of a pest. He's someone that they have to put up with. Fine, come and work for me. Work with the pigs. And the Bible says that he was sitting there and he was wanting to eat what the pigs ate. What pigs ate was not what we eat. What pigs ate was not nice. Leftover eggshells and all kinds of, think of those kind of things. That's what they fed the pigs. Interesting enough, the son gets so hungry that he wants to eat that. I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, wow, the son is in crisis. I don't know if you've ever been in crisis. Ever been in crisis? I know I have. Many a times. Been in crisis ways where things are just going wrong. All of my plans out the window. Everything's gone. Everything's done. Everything I thought I could do doesn't happen. It's crisis. It's full-on crisis mode. That's where the sun's at. I want to say this, and I really believe God wants to say to some of us, crisis is not bad if we allow crisis to do what it should do, which is take us to Christ. Crisis is God's opportunity to draw you closer to Jesus. And we've got to see it like that. And that's what we see with the prodigal son. Here's what he does. He questions everything. He questions who he is. I am my father's son. He questions 
where he is. What am I doing here? I could be with my father. He questions what he is wanting to eat. I'm going to eat this, but I could eat that. See, the reality is when you know who your father is, you don't put up with the mess that you find yourself in. You pick yourself up and you start walking towards your father. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I don't know what mess you're in right now. Maybe you're not in crisis right now, but maybe you were and you got stuck. Maybe this is a message for you for your future, but your crisis is not your comfort. Your crisis should not be comfortable. Your crisis should be a motivator to the arms of Christ. The crisis is God's way of taking us into the arms of the Father. See, I told you I was going to get passionate and I'm going to shout. And if you are at home, please say amen. Tap the screen. Do whatever you need to do because this is the reality. Jesus takes you as you are. He keeps you in the palm of his hand. You are the apple of his eye. Bible says that he gets up, he leaves, goes to his father, he practices his preach, uh, his speech, and he's going to go right. This is what I'm going to say to my dad. Da 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 da. He's got all this going on. What I love about the story is that the Bible says that the father, whilst the son was still a long way off, saw him and runs to him. Now, let me just clarify some, probably some obvious points. Number one. The fact that the father saw him means it's daytime, right? There's no electricity then. There's no lights. It's, it's, it's going to be daytime. Two, the father's been standing there watching the entrance of the, of the community, looking out. That's how I see God. You know, when you are far away from him, when you feel like you don't want to be anywhere near him, actually God's standing there, have got a direct line, a direct view on you, wanting to get in touch with you waiting for you. So the father's watching, it's daytime, everyone can see. The father, the Bible says, gets up and runs. Now they were wearing skirts or, or robes, not skirts, that's the wrong thing, robes, robes. Uh, they were wearing robes back in those days. Um, the dad lifts up his robe and runs, because no way you're going to run with a robe on, right? Again, the dad breaks a barrier and breaks a boundary, breaks a cultural boundary right there. No older gentleman was supposed to expose his legs. So the man would have lifted up his robe and ran. Again, an older gentleman doesn't run. It's not culturally correct to run. The father, though, runs, meets the son, and embraces him. Now, why does the father do that? Because the son's on his way back anyway. Well, the reason the father does that is because in that time, in that culture, there's something called a kazaza ceremony. If a child does what, the old, what this young man has done, takes his money and spends it in a foreign land and gives it away to foreign people. He is actually, uh, by law, he sh there should be something called a kazaza ceremony, which is this. At the gates of the, of the community or the city where, where the entry point is, there will be these older uh, community members who will be there, the elders of the community, will be sat there and they'd have these clay pots. And these clay pots were, were, were used if you were coming back to, to tell you that you are not welcome in this community anymore. Basically, what they do is, when they see you coming in, before you enter the gates, they would take this clay pot, they'd throw it in front of you, breaking this pot right in front of you to signify that this relationship is over. This relationship with the community is broken. In fact, 
the mother and the father would be nowhere near the Kazaza ceremony because it is so heartbreaking to have this happen. They would be away from this whole thing. But here we've got the father running past every ceremony, past the people that were going to perform the ceremony, past everything, before the son comes in to the city gates, before he encounters this, the father stops that from happening, and the Bible says embraces him. Not only was he embracing his long-lost son, he's actually saying to the rest of the community and everybody else around him, this is not okay to do because he is my son. No one's going to kick him out of my community, regardless of what he has done. That's the message I believe God is bringing to some of us in here today. Regardless of your past, regardless of your activities, regardless of what you've done, run back to the Father because he is running to you and he is going to embrace you and bring you in regardless of what you have done. It was his crisis that caused him to get up and run to his dad. And he was going to go as a servant. And the dad said, no, you ain't no servant. You are my son. And he embraces him and brings him back in to the community. I love this story because Jesus shows so many extremes in it. But he wants you to know that no, no matter how far away from him you go, he will bring you home. He will bring you back. It was all of the stuff that happened around the sun, but Jesus was saying, I want to have one encounter moment with you. I want to have an encounter moment with you. I want to have that moment where regardless of what's happening around you, I want you to know you're my son. I care about you so much that I don't care about anything else. And I want to bring you home. The dad hugs his son who's just been in contact with pigs. Culturally, that's not okay. The dad doesn't ask him to shower first. The dad says, I'm going to hug you whilst you're still in your mess. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. You don't need to come in cleaned up. You need to come in as you are. Because the embrace is what we need. It's not about the focus on your disgrace. Because God's got this love for you. And he's got compassion for you. And he wants to bring you back home. I remember when I was like the prodigal son, believe it or not. Um, my, dad is a pa- my dad was a pastor, and uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, but I definitely didn't live that, the life that my parents wanted me to live, or not my parents, actually, it was God, uh, would want me to live. But also, you know, as, as pastors, kids, you have this, there's a bit of an expectation. And, and I grew up in a small farm community, so there's an extra pressure. So you walk to school, and everyone knows who you are. Oh, there's Pastor Alan's son. Oh, that's Pastor Alan's son. Oh, Pastor Alan's son, he's smoking weed. Oh, Pastor Alan's son, that's... He's with another girl. Oh, okay. Um, so all of this stuff. And then one day, things got really, really crazy. And um, I ended up in a stolen car, uh, which I bought. And I was driving around in this car. And it got, it got crazy. It got crazy. And um, got caught. Got stopped by the police. Stolen car. This is in South Africa. I'm South African, by the way. This is in South Africa. And um, end up in a police station. 
with my car, which I drove, which is kind of a bit weird. Um, and policeman comes out, doesn't take me to the police station, comes out and he confirms, says, this is a stolen car. And I was like, yeah. He said, so what do you want me to do? And I was like, whoa. Um, give me a break. <laughs> I don't know, let me go. Um, I didn't say that because that would have been naughty. I said, oh, I don't know, you know, what, what can we do? And he said, well, listen, I'm going to let you go this time. And I was like, okay. He said, I'm going to let you go. And then he said this, which is weird, take your car and go. I never want to see that car again. This is a stolen car. Let me take it home. Um, I remember going home and just, no one was home that day, parked the car. I remember just falling on my knees. That was my eating, what, what pigs would be eating moment, realizing I'm in a crisis. And I just said, Jesus, I, 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 need, I need you. I need you. I was 22 at that point. I remember just having this embrace, and it, it felt like Jesus just saying, all of that stuff that you've done is irrelevant. I want you to come home. I want you to be with me. You know, the father puts, comes out and he brings some sandals, and he says, put some sandals on the son. I remember that moment when it felt like I was taken from, because sandals signify sonship. And I love that moment when, when, when I felt like Jesus was saying to me, it's okay that you were involved in all this rubbish. Let's get some sandals on you. He was saying, come back, you're my son. So don't walk around like a slave. You live as a son. I love that moment where I felt the reality of the embrace of the father. Here's some shoes, come put that on. And the Bible says he put a, a ring on his, on his finger. You know, that ring was a sign of authority. That's a ring, like a signet ring. Actually, back in those days when they would send a letter, they'll seal it with a ring like that. That's the kind of ring that the son got, that when, when, he, when anyone saw it, it was a symbol of authority. In fact, that ring would have normally gone to the older son, but he brings it and gives it to the younger son. And he says, put that ring on his finger. And then he says, put a robe on him. So, you know, he gets a sign of sonship. He gets a sign of authority. And then he says, put a robe on him. And the robe that they bring is not just any robe. It's the robe that is, that is kept for weddings and ceremonies. And they wrap him with that robe. It is a robe that they kept for special occasions. And that robe is just a symbol of honor. Come and be, be take your place. What's interesting is that the robe just covers his shame. And wraps him. No longer do you see a rebellious son, but you see a son full of honor and sonship and love. Now, as I process this and, and as, I, as I think about this, I think, wow, there's so many times in my life that I didn't feel like a son. You know, we live in South London, in Lewisham. And, uh, you know, sure, like most of you, our doors are always locked just because if you leave it open, there's a chance that someone might walk in and take stuff. And uh, every, every afternoon, my son Malika comes home from school. It's really funny. He just, uh, he'll come in. He's got a key, and he knows the door is locked, but he'll just try and open the door. And then he'll knock the door, and I'm like, you've got keys, one. You know, why, why are you knocking? I'm not going to get up. Just come. And, he, and then he'll open and say, why you lock the door? And then he comes in, chucks his bag on the floor, what's to eat? Straight in the fridge, you know, 
But I guarantee you, if any of you decided to come to my house, none of you would do that. You'd never just jiggle the handle. You wouldn't ask me, hey, uh, what's to eat? Can I eat something? No. You'd, be wait, you'd wait for me to offer you. And the reason for that is because you don't, you're not my son. And you're not in my home as a family member. But you are a visitor. I think that sometimes many of us live with the visitor mindset. That actually rather than just breaking, just come to breaking in, but come to the house, we knock on the, on the doors when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And then we kind of feel like, oh, I feel a bit awkward. Oh, I st- oh, maybe I'll come back some other time. I'll phone them. I'll text them better. I'll text them. That'll be better. It's like rather than entering the, the house that God wants you to live in into his heart, we're standing at the window and looking at a family enjoying this amazing family atmosphere, but God's saying, you need to come in. The son came back home. God doesn't want us to live as a spiritual orphan. He wants us to live as a son who belongs. And he belongs in the father's presence, belongs in the arms of the father, regardless of your mess. I remember going home and just thinking, God, are you ever going to forgive me? And uh, six months later, I get called into ministry. And I went from someone who was totally against God and what he was about to now saying, you know what? I want to see people saved. I want to see people one for Jesus. Why? Because in the midst of my crisis, I stood up and I said, where is my father? I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your life or in your world, and I don't know what's happening at home. But I do know this. You have a father. Not your earthly father, because I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father's like or your experience with your earthly father's like. But I do know this. Your heavenly father loves you, and he wants to bring you back home. And I'm going to pray as I close, and I'm going to believe that God's going to speak to you through his Holy Spirit. And he's going to reach your heart and do everything that I believe he wants to do in that. And I want to say to you right now, regardless of where you're at, leave that place and make your way back home to the Father's embrace. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your heart that loves us so much. I pray for those right now who are watching at home that are in a space where they may feel like they're distant from you. God, I pray that they would realize you are waiting for them to come back, that you are like the father in the parable, standing and looking at when is my child coming back home. I pray you'd bring them back. I pray for those that, that God uh, have been back but have, got, uh, but have gotten used to the father's house, maybe a little bit like the older son. I pray you'd give him a fresh revelation of what it means to be in the father's house that that is who you are and you love us so much. I pray your blessing on us. I pray for every person that is watching, that is hearing this today, that they would know your love in a greater way. Pray your blessing on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute privilege. I really believe that God is going to do some incredible things in your lives from, from today and for the future. Have a great week, and uh, hopefully I'll see you somewhere
sometimes who 